Heavenly Father, our one true Father, we come to you today thankful for our earthly dads and thankful for who you are and being our ultimate Father, for providing and taking care of us always. We love you, Lord. And God, we ask today that you would open up our hearts and minds and you would show us why you have placed that father need in our hearts and how you have put uh, in the heart of every man the heart of a father. Lord, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Tyler just wasn't quite comfortable enough to attach that mic on, on my hip. You know, we're, we're getting close, but we're not there yet. Thank you, Tyler, getting those new batteries for me. So, we have this verse here. Don't address, don't call anyone here on earth Father, for only God in heaven is Father. What do we do with this? We don't talk about this verse very much at all. In fact, if I've ever heard it preached or talked about, uh, it's usually by a Protestant saying to the Catholics, uh, look at there, don't call people father. But Jesus said literally, he didn't just say don't call your minister father. He said don't call anyone father at all. How are we to understand this? Or to understand all scripture, uh, understand it as we're to understand all scripture. That is, as it's intended. We don't come to this book with our own ideas and, and thoughts and plans and force them into this and make this book say what we want it to say. Instead, we have to come to it humbly and say, God, what do you have in your word to say to me? So often uh, we come and, and we just... We say, you know what, let me find a verse to back up what I believe. <laughs> How many times have a preacher, now I believe this, where's the verse that says that? And we, we come and we want to back up our beliefs. Instead, we're supposed to come and see what God tells us to believe, what is true, what is right. And we have to be careful, and, and we can't just do that just jumping in the middle. None of us would ever, you know, take a, a novel whether it be Harry Potter or uh, Twilight or Huckleberry Finn or whatever, we wouldn't just open it to the middle and say, oh, well, I don't understand this. This book is so hard to read, I'm putting it down. We wouldn't do that. We would understand that we've got to have the context to understand it. We have to start with the beginning. We have to see what's going on, and then we would understand the message. Well, Jesus here, in context... He's talking about those who would puff themselves up. Those who have great ego and love to be called by big titles. Uh, people often, as a minister, say, well, you know, should I call you brother or pastor? And I say, no, no, no. Most high and holy reverend will be just fine, you know. <laughs> you don't have to do any of those things. But seriously... 
he says, don't let anyone call you rabbi, don't want to let anyone call you father, don't let anyone call you teacher. Jesus' point was, don't try to elevate yourself above other people. Don't try to make yourself something that everyone looks at and says, oh, we're not worthy, you're so great. He says, because the one we're supposed to say we're not worthy to is God in heaven. He's the one that we're to worship. He's the one that we're to lift up and to honor and to praise. And no man or woman, boy or girl, deserves the kind of praise that our Father in heaven uh, is, is worthy of. But we also understand Scripture by the immediate context, but also we compare Scripture with Scripture. We learn, and in many other places we learn, it's okay to call someone a father. Uh, both the martyr Stephen and later on uh, Paul in the book of Acts in chapter 22 when he was giving his testimony. They both used the same phrase to address uh, some of the men who were present. They said, brothers and fathers. And uh, there's many spiritual fathers. Paul talks about being a spiritual father. So Jesus says here, don't call anyone father. His point was, don't put anyone in God's place. While Jesus here is saying, don't call anyone father, I want to kind of go on a reverse direction and say, every man has been given by God the heart of a father. I'm not proving this from this text, but I want us to think about it from all of Scripture. In fact, I'm titling this, this message, Happy Father's Day to all the guys who aren't. Happy Father's Day to all the guys who aren't. That doesn't mean that if you're a dad here today, say, I, I can check out, this isn't for me. It's actually saying that every single one of us, whether we have legal or biological children, every single man has been given by God the heart of a father. Now, does that always come out? Does that always express itself? No. In fact, the Bible talks about when it prophesies that the coming Messiah and how he's going to change hearts. He talks in Malachi about the turning of the hearts of the father to their children and the hearts of the children to their father. Because, see, that's a work of God. Because in our sinful state, our hearts, guys, are often not where they need to be toward the children. But in God's perfect plan, in his will, he's given all of us, just as he is the ultimate father who guides and nurtures and strengthens and protects, he has given us men, part of his nature, part of his character. We are to live that out. I want us to think about some of the guys who were father figures in Scripture to men that were not biologically their own kids, and yet they were powerful fathers to them in many ways. And I'm actually just touching on a selection. But it's all throughout Scripture. Men who impact the lives of younger men or of children. We can start off thinking about family. What about extended family? You know, 
men in a family who aren't your actual dad, but they have a real impact and, and, and t- they touch your lives. What about your uncles? Some of us have been greatly impacted uh, by uncles, whether on mom's side or dad's side. And I think about Abraham. As God called him out to go on a mission, the Bible tells us that he did not go alone. It was not just him and Sarah, but his nephew Lot was with him. And Abraham cared deeply for his nephew Lot. In fact, when Lot gets, gets uh, kidnapped along with a whole bunch of other folks, when some raiding parties had come through and kidnapped everybody, Abraham says, this isn't happening to my nephew. And he gets a bunch of guys, a bunch of men, and he goes after them, and he brings back not only all those people that were kidnapped, but all their stuff. He rescues them all. And that was just one example he, he cared for Lot enough. He gave him a choice of when they were dividing up the land, you go this way or you go that way. Abraham was deeply invested in the life of his nephew, Lot. What about cousins? What about men who are, they're not your dad, they're not your uncle? But they've got some kind of, you know, cousin connection or something down the way. Barnabas was a cousin to John Mark. We studied recently how how Barnabas and uh, the Apostle Paul, how they parted ways because Paul said, I don't know about John Mark. He let me down. He failed. He didn't live up to the task. And Barnabas said, I still believe in John Mark, who happened to be a cousin of his. And he took this younger man under his wing. And he continued to mentor him and to teach him. And later on, John Mark, uh, we know that he actually, later on, he kind of apprentices under the Apostle Peter as well. He goes on to write the Gospel of Mark. He does great things because godly men invested in his life. Paul, to some degree, Barnabas, even later, the Apostle Peter, all invest in the life of a young man named John Mark, from whom we get the Gospel of Mark. There was a family, there was a cousin relationship there. Another cousin relationship that turns into a a fatherly influence is that of Mordecai to Esther in the book of Esther. The Bible tells us that Mordecai's uncle had a beautiful daughter named Esther, and his uncle and that family, they all passed away. And here she was, left an orphan. And he was a a first cousin, but an older cousin, and she had nothing there in a foreign land where they were exiled, and he brought her into his household and raised her as his own from that point forward. And he was the one that would guide her with wisdom through the the circumstances and the situations that she would face uh, in that very difficult pagan environment. He reminded her to stay faithful. He says, look, if you don't, when she was worried about what would happen, could she really approach the king? Because if she did and the king didn't welcome her, If she went uninvited, she could be killed. And she worried, I don't know if I can do this. And he says, look, if you don't help, salvation's going to arise somewhere for the Jews. God will take care of his people. But you, (laughs) 
will not be spared. He raised her, he was compassionate, and he was tender, but he also could tell her some of the tough truths of life that you have to keep going when the going gets tough. And Mordecai became a father to Esther. What about fathers-in-laws? These fathers that you get by marriage. How often have we been impacted? Many of us have been impacted by the lives of our wives' fathers. There's a great example of that. Now, there's some bad father-in-laws, by the way, and there are some in Scripture. If you remember Laban, who kept trying to trick Jacob and make him work longer, and he was a bad one. But there's some good ones, too. And one of those really great father-in-law, fathering-type situations was a man named Jethro. Jethro was the father-in-law of Moses. At the beginning, we don't know a whole lot about him. Just, you know, Moses, remember when he killed that Egyptian and he runs to the backside of the desert where he stays 40 years? Well, he's not there all by himself. Uh, he meets a young woman that he, uh, he ends up protecting. You know, he, he protects this young woman and her sisters from these shepherds that are trying to drive off the sheep that they're tending. And uh, they get back home and they tell the story to their dad, Jethro, that, hey, this... We had something interesting that happened today, Pop. Uh, you know, this man, he defended us from those bad shepherds. And I can just imagine this scene. Jethro's like, you guys had a man and you let him go? Go get that man. Go find that man. Bring him back here right now. And they do, and they go get him. And, and Moses ends up uh, marrying Jethro's daughter. And so we just kind of know they work together for a while. But later on, after Moses has done his time in the desert, for 40 years he's stayed there and God calls him back with that burning bush. He calls him and says, you're ready now. You may not can speak, but I will speak for you, through you. I'm going to use you to bring your people out. And we, we had the whole Exodus story, all the, all the standing up and telling Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardens his heart and another plague comes. And we go through all of that. Uh, up until the final plague, that death of the firstborn, that leads to the Passover celebration. And they finally leave, they cross through the Red Sea, and, and, and the Egyptians are left behind. And they're finally in this new place. Great, they're on their way to the promised land. And everything's awesome, right? It should be. And so, um, but Moses is kind of stressed. Because everybody in this whole nation, a couple of million people, they're all looking to him. And everybody's coming from sunrise to sundown saying, I got a problem. And I need some help, Moses. And you know, <laughs> you ever have those family members that just show up at the most inopportune times? I mean, it's just, you are like, oh, really? Well, I needed one more thing. Well, that's kind of, Jethro did that. He showed up. The father-in-law shows up. But the father-in-law is full of wisdom. He watches all that Moses is doing. And he says, Moses, listen, from an older man to a younger man, let me tell you, what you're doing is not sustainable. What you're doing is not good for you, and it's not good for the people. You're not the best for them, and, and, and certainly you don't need to deal with every little uh, stub toe that these people have. Let me give you some advice. And he talks about setting up layers of administration and judges and government and all of a sudden, the, the pressure and the burden is lifted from Moses. 
having to do for everybody because he's got some help now. Jethro had a father figure influence on him as a father-in-law. What about stepdads? In this country, we can look and we know the reality is that uh, while most people go into marriage hoping and planning that it will last forever, for various reasons, either death or divorce, uh, things don't end up the way that we start off in life and then remarriage occurs and, and you end up in stepmom and stepdad situations and they're, they're so difficult at times. It's, it's not what we expect. You have to work these things out. As a counselor, I, uh, Denise and I once went to, we were thinking about uh, getting married, and he said, you're not 22 and green. You know, it's, you're not starting afresh. You, you both come from backgrounds, and you're bringing those together. And, and these kind of step-parent type things are interesting. I thought about Joseph with Jesus. Imagine the position that Joseph was in. Of course, when his fiancée comes up pregnant, uh, people, they think one of two things. <laughs> oh, you just couldn't wait. You messed up. Or, oh, you're really a dope. Someone else got Mary pregnant, and now you're going to marry her. But he knew, because God had visited him in the form of an angel and warned him and told him, Here's what's going on. And so Joseph would take and raise this child that was as his own, even though he wasn't. He would know that I am raising a child that was not biologically mine. I can't really claim him, but yet I will be a father to him. You know, we have songs about Mary, and there's prayers to Mary if you're a certain type of Christian. We don't talk too much about Joseph. But I think he was an amazing man in raising Jesus and teaching him how to go from a boy to being a man. Did Joseph know everything? No. He knew carpentry, and he taught Jesus carpentry he taught him what he knew he did what he could there's even friends of the family you guys ever heard of a guy named Mephibosheth anyone anyone all right let's all say that together all right on the count of three you're going to say Mephibosheth with me one two three Mephibosheth okay um this guy uh, was a, um, a child of um, Jonathan's. David and Jonathan were great friends. Jonathan, of course, ended up passing away. Jonathan's father, King Saul, tried to kill David. God protected him. But when all that stuff was over... And they, David was finally on the throne. He remembered his friendship with Jonathan. And he asked his people, Are there, is there anybody out there 
related to, to Saul, related to Jonathan, that I can show kindness to? And they said, yeah. There's this one boy. In fact, it was tragic. As they were trying to get him out of town and all this war and all this trouble is going on, they dropped him as a baby and his feet were injured so badly that he was a cripple the rest of his life. And so he has uh, existed in hiding as a cripple, having a terrible existence. Because, you know, everybody knows when one king comes in, he kills off all the family of the, of the other kings to make sure nobody rises up. And David said, no, bring him to me. And can you imagine that man, Mephibosheth, as he comes into David's presence and he's thinking, I've been running, I've been hiding, I'm scared because I'm about to die, but maybe I'm just tired of running and maybe it's okay that he's going to end it all. But instead, David looks at him and says, because of the friendship and love that you, your father and I, that close bond we had, I want to show kindness to you, Mephibosheth, and you're going to sit at my table for the rest of your days. In other words, you're becoming, you're now family to me. All of those are family and friend-to-family relationships. And even beyond that in Scripture, there are all sorts of mentors. Eli was a mentor to young Samuel who came to stay with him. In fact, he turned out to be a better father figure uh, to Samuel than he was to his own uh, children. He had sons, um, These two sons were wicked, but he did raise where he could not show firmness and discipline and love with his sons. He was able to raise Samuel to be a great prophet. Paul would mentor young men such as Timothy and Titus and take them on the journeys And raise them up and show them how to be godly men, godly leaders in their communities and wherever they were. Sometimes it's not even just children. It's it's older men to younger men. Moses and Joshua. Joshua served for many years. Soaking up, learning all that he could from Moses. And while Moses was the great leader of Israel, he could not take them into the promised land because of his sin. But Joshua was the one that carried them into that promised land. Elijah was a great prophet. But Elisha, who he trained, received a double portion. We know the word mentor because of the the ancient Greek story of the Odyssey. In that myth, there was a man named Odysseus who was going off to fight in the Trojan Wars, and he knew that his son Telemachus was not yet old enough to go off to war with him, and he he knew he had to go, but he also knew he had a responsibility to his son Telemachus. And so in this ancient myth, he he uh, taps a man named Mentor, an older man, who he could trust to watch over his household and especially the raising of his son, Telemachus. While he was not there, Mentor 
would stand in the gap. There are boys and girls and even young men and young women who are in desperate need of someone to stand in the gap. God is the ultimate father. And men, he has given you and I his heart, his role for reaching out and touching, having compassion upon, uh, loving, working into the lives of children and young people. He's the only ultimate true father. But he's called us to be like him. The Bible says, I will carry you as a child carries, as a father carries his child, so I will carry you. And all of us at times need carrying. Men, he's called us to stand in that gap. Sometimes that's tough. As we say, well, we do all we can just to raise our own families if we have them, our own children. But our responsibility doesn't stop there. God has placed on us the heart of a father that we would look out to protect, to teach, to build into, and to invest the lives of children and young people. God's called us to that. We've seen it in all these stories. And the question simply is today, will we step up to the plate? Almost every single one of us, if we're honest, if we look back, we can't truly say, I did it all on my own. Because along the way, there were men who were there for us, who invested, who listened, who spoke wisdom, who spent time with us, who helped us get a little further along the way. And we need to return that favor and do that same thing for the generation that comes behind each of us. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we come to you thanking you that, God, you are the ultimate Father. And you've called us to share your love. You called us to carry others when they need to be carried. To give wisdom. To show compassion. To invest in the lives of those around us. Thank you that by your strength, through the Holy Spirit, we can be fathers as you are father to us. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.